0: We started a new sermon series last week called The Cross Changes Everything, and over the next, I think there's seven weeks left in the series, we're going to be looking at just what an impact the cross has. And today we're going to sit in the classroom of the cross. You know, if you were to go into a classroom, maybe at a church or at a school, and you see... Bright bold numbers and letters and colors and shapes and activity centers with all sorts of toys to play with. Where, what kind of classroom do you think you might be in? Maybe a preschool room, kindergarten, maybe first grade. Kind of learning the basics, right? If you go in and there's a lab table or many lab tables and there's little hookups for natural gas and some Bunsen burners and there's a whole bunch of beakers and test tubes, what kind of class are you in? You're probably not in the kindergarten classroom anymore unless it's a really weird school. Probably not a kindergarten class. You're in a chemistry classroom. So when you walk into the classroom, you learn something right away about what is being taught in that class. I want us to think this morning about the cross. As a classroom, what can we learn simply by looking at the cross? And then in the weeks to come, we're going to take these themes and go deeper and deeper into each one of them. So last week, we started by looking at the cross changes everything. And I wanted to answer the question, why bother looking at the cross? Why do we as Christians, or maybe I should say, why should we as Christians, make such a big deal about the cross? Because honestly, as Christians today, sometimes we don't make a big deal about the cross. Oh, sure, we wear it. We have it out in front of our churches sometimes, maybe even on a wall of of the sanctuary, and maybe we decorate our homes with them, but sometimes that's as far as it gets. And we looked at this verse where Paul says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Out of all the things Paul could have talked about, focused on, thought about, when he was with this church in Corinth and he was planting this church, he said, here was my laser focus. I wanted to focus on nothing except the cross of Jesus Christ. There are so many important truths that we learn from the cross, and we're going to dig deep into those, but I want to just give an introduction to some of those truths this morning, a big picture, if you will, as we sit in the classroom of the cross. And I want to use another verse that Paul wrote. He wrote this to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, Paul is dealing with some difficult and and differing, conflicting ideas about salvation, about Christianity in this church, and he's writing to correct these things, but this is what he says in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now my goal this morning is not so much to pick apart this verse. Normally I go through a verse phrase by phrase, sometimes word by word or a passage that's longer, but I want to use the example of what Paul is doing. Paul's looking at a situation where they were confused about salvation. They were following one leader over another. And he's taking the gospel and he's seeing himself through the lens of the gospel. And he's looking at the cross and saying, what do we know to be true about Jesus? Let's apply that to ourselves. And I love the way that Paul does this. He sees things through the lens of the gospel. And that's what I want us to do this morning. To pause, it's the busyness, and to sit in the classroom of the cross and say, "God, teach us. Teach us who we are. Teach us who you are, and teach us how to respond." And what I mean by the classroom of the cross, when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we see on the cross a man. We see on the cross that man horribly suffering. Incredible suffering. Severe suffering. We know from his life and from his ministry, this is the Son of God, the promised Messiah, and there he is on the cross. We hear him cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, we know the depths of God's judgment on the cross. We also hear him cry out, Father, forgive them, do not know what they are doing. So we know that the one who is suffering, who is experiencing judgment, is also offering forgiveness. And so I want us to come together and sit in the classroom of the cross this morning. Let's pray that God would speak to us through his word. Father, as we come to your word this morning, These are difficult subjects. They unveil and unmask our hearts. And we know that our sin loves to hide and deceive and to distract. And so I pray this morning, Father, turn our eyes toward the cross of your son, Jesus. And open our eyes and our hearts to the truth that we see there as we learn from the cross this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we look at what we learn from the cross, the first thing we must learn from the cross is that sin is severe. And I know you're saying, oh, come on, Pastor. I'm I'm discouraged this morning and I'm struggling and I came here to be lifted up and encouraged. We'll get there. I I think the most encouraging thing in the entire world in all of history is the cross of Jesus Christ. We'll get there, but we've got to start here. And when we look at the cross and we see the severe pain that Jesus is going through, we see the severe punishment that he is enduring, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why was the cross so incredibly awful? And the answer is right here, because our sin is so incredibly severe. We will never understand the cross unless we first understand our own sin. Now, you know, this is tough because we live in a world where people say, well, just do what you want. Everybody should be free to do whatever they want. So as soon as you start talking about sin, we have a problem. Wait a minute. How dare you say that what I'm doing is sin? How dare you judge me? What I'm doing doesn't hurt anybody else. Have you ever heard that? I think that's our world's standard of sin. I think often if we're very honest with ourselves, that's usually our standard of sin as well. Wrong is something that hurts someone else. Now, don't get me wrong. It's an okay starting place, but it's not okay to stay there. That standard of right and wrong is not enough. And here's the problem, this idea of of something is wrong only if it hurts somebody else, that is assuming that we know so much. It assumes I know exactly what hurts other people. And I think if we look at our culture, we look at history, we look at the world, as human beings, we're pretty bad at discerning when we're hurting someone else. We tend to be very blind to that. It makes us the judge of what is hurtful and what is not. And it assumes that we know every outcome. If I walked up to Bill right now and just punched him in the face, I I think it's pretty obvious. I'm not going to act this one out, but pretty obvious I hurt him, right? That one's a no-brainer. Dave, don't do that. You just hurt poor Bill. Okay? Cause, effect, right there. Robin's like, go for it. I could tell. But what if I do something that hurts him 10 minutes from now? What if the thing I do now hurts him 10 hours from now? What if the thing I do now hurts him 10 years from now? Am I not still hurting him? And is it not still hurtful whether I see it or not? We assume so much when we think that the standard has to be just don't hurt people. Plus, isn't there some hurting that is actually helpful? If the true standard is never cause hurt to someone else, doctors can never do their work because most surgery begins with at least some pain. But we say, well, that's different because there's a long-term effect and, and they're doing good ultimately. Okay, good. Now we're getting somewhere. We're admitting that there is an ultimate good that might even justify temporary discomfort. But see, now we're getting outside of ourselves. And we have to step back and admit, I don't know everything. I don't see everything. I cannot possibly know every cause and effect. And so when we come to the cross and we see the severity of the cross, we are seeing the severity of our sin. Let's unpack that a little bit as we understand that there is a God who does know every outcome. And in Scripture, we're told in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's the standard of sin, the biblical standard of sin. It's not, oh, what you did was wrong, or what you did hurt somebody else, or what you did wasn't in the best interest of everybody else. It's that what we do that is sin falls short of the glory of God. The New Testament has about five different words for sin. They took this very seriously. The most common one that we're probably most familiar with means missing the target, falling short of. Two others emphasize the inward problem of sin, this inward unrighteousness or a vicious attitude, a degenerate way of thinking or an inward corruption of thought and motivation, emphasizes the inwardness and the inward corruption of sin. The final two New Testament words for sin emphasize our actions. That we trespass, we go beyond what we should do. We transgress, we break a rule or a law. We have stepped over a boundary. And lawlessness. Lawlessness is a complete disregard for the concept of the law whatsoever. Lawlessness is looking at God and saying, Your rules don't apply to me, I don't accept you as the lawgiver. And I don't accept your law as being given or applying to me. I think several things are very clear from this. Sin is much more than just hurting someone. It's much deeper than that. Sin, the nature of sin implies that there is an authority who has the right to judge. One who has set a standard and given the law. And sin, that concept of sin, implies that it is not only possible, but according to this verse, we've all done it, we fall short of that standard. And what's the big deal there? The Bible lays out that we were created to live in God's perfect, holy, and righteous presence forever and ever to reflect His glory back to Him. This beautiful picture of the Garden of Eden was to go on forever and ever. Not that we'd all walk around in the forest all the time. I think it's possible that technology and other things would have developed, but without sin, we can't even conceive of it. One day, I think in heaven, we will experience it. We were created for life, yet we chose the way of death. Sin is severe because sin brings death. It is a big deal because God created us for life and sin brings death. That's part of why sin is so severe. It breaks our relationship with God, who is the author, giver, and sustainer of life. So we step back and go, oh, church, Christians, pastor, why are you talking about sin all the time? You're just trying to make me feel guilty. No, I want you to understand this world is not all there is. And God's not done with us yet and that what we're experiencing now and all those feelings of something needs to change, something is not right, those feelings are right. We should have a holy dissatisfaction with the world the way it is. Because sin is present, and it is working death into our lives, our cultures, and our families. But it's also important to understand that sin is rebellion. Sin is not just breaking a law. It's not just doing something wrong. Sin is rebelling against God. And I've used this illustration so many times, but I can't think of anything better. When I became a father, and I remember as my kids became old enough, and you could tell that they knew what you were saying, you could tell they knew what they were supposed to do, you could tell that they were able at times to do what they were supposed to do, and at other times they chose otherwise. And I would tell my child, Don't touch that cabinet. Don't don't get the cookie. And I would see them look at me and do this. And I would think, you just knew exactly what you were doing. That was not a, oh, right, this rule, and I just, I totally forgot, and I, I broke a rule. Oops. See, that's different. This is rebellion. This is, if we can get in the the mind of the three-year-old or so, you know, I know you're my father. I know God put you on this earth for a purpose. I reject that purpose. And I'm replacing it with my own. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what's going on. Maybe not in so many words, but that's what's going on in the mind of the three-year-old. When we sin, we are looking at God and we are saying, I don't want you. I don't need you. I don't accept your authority. And I am replacing your authority with my own. I will do what I want. All sin is at its heart a rebellion against God. Why is the cross so severe? Because our rebellion against God is very serious. Sin brings death and it allows rebellion to continue. But wait, there's more. Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 18 says this, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You see, sin is destroyer of life. Sin is rebellion against God and sin is a corruption force in this world. It's not just a momentary matter of, oops, I messed up, I'll try harder. Sin infects and infuses us. It is like a disease or a cancer that invades our very soul. God created us. For a perfect relationship, perfect life with Him, perfect relationships with each other. And sin comes in and unwinds and unravels those things and is constantly seeking to pervert it and destroy it. So why is sin so severe? It goes against our holy God. Breaks the relationship. That we have with the author of life. It is rebellion against God and it is corruption in our way of thinking and in our actions. The cross is severe because the sin is so severe. If we have a small view of sin, we will always look at the cross and say, well, that's a bit much. That's just kind of unfair, Maybe we should think of a different way to explain of the cross of Jesus Christ. When people say, oh, the cross is just a demonstration of God's love, I think, are you crazy? Why is the cross so severe? God could have found a whole bunch of other ways to simply demonstrate his love. The cross is severe because sin is severe. John Stott writes this, It is impossible for us to face Christ's cross with integrity and not to feel ashamed of ourselves. Apathy, selfishness, and complacency blossom everywhere in the world except at the cross. There these noxious weeds shrivel and die. They are seen for the tatty, poisonous things they are. For if there was no way by which the righteous God could righteously forgive our unrighteousness, except that he should bear it himself in Christ, it must be serious indeed. It is only when we see this, that stripped of our self-righteousness and self-satisfaction, we are ready to put our trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior we urgently need. So here we are in the classroom of the cross, and we're looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. and We are struck by the severity of it. And we need to remind ourselves, it's because of my sin that the cross is so severe. The other thing we're going to see as we sit in the classroom of the cross and we see this severity of sin is that God's judgment is necessary. Have you ever asked yourself the question, or maybe asked God, really God, why is it such a big deal? Can't you just forgive and forget God? Can't you just kind of move on, let the past be the past, bygones and all that sort of stuff? Why can't God just do that? Can't God just let sin go? And the answer is no, He can't. Isaiah thirty-three twenty-two says this, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, it is He who will save us. The Lord is perfectly righteous and He has a role because of His righteousness, and as the creator of the universe, He is also the judge. What kind of a judge can look at a blatant crime and say, That's ah, no big deal? I'm just gonna let that one go. God would cease to be a good judge. If he simply dismissed sin. But think of it this way as well God created us for a purpose. See, we don't understand because we live in this sinful, messed up world where things are falling apart all the time, and so often we just say, Well, that's just the way it is. That's, it's just natural. It's just by nature. We're all messed up people. No, we're not that way by nature, we're that way by sin. By nature, we were created perfect to live in God's perfect presence. Everything else is an abomination because of the sin that's come into the world. We need to redefine our terms. We need to quit accepting what we experience and what we see all the time and say, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. It's not. God created us to live in a perfect relationship with him. Our sin is a threat to that relationship. Should he just let it go? Should He just step back and go, well, they all hate me. I guess they're all going to die. It's going to be really awful for them for all eternity. I guess I'll just be okay with that. That's what we're saying when we're saying God should just let sin go. Sin has consequences. And God is a righteous judge. God's judgment is necessary because He is holy and righteous And because our sin threatens His purposes in creation, our sin brings death to those that God created for life, and our sin is a rebellion against God. We just went through all of those. Should God allow that to just go on in His creation without doing anything about it? Should God allow each and every one of us to set up our little kingdom of one and live in conscious, active rebellion against Him forever and ever? should he just let that go? We're going to look more at the concept of of God's judgment next week. Man, if that doesn't make you want to come back, I don't know what will. But we're going to trace the theme of how God dealt with sin all throughout the Old Testament. And I, I will, yes, it's hard, but it's beautiful. And it all leads up to the cross and Jesus taking our place. So please come back. But I just want us to look at the cross this morning and understand God... Must judge sin. Could you imagine going to the doctor and you say, my big toe hurts. I don't know what's going on, but my big toe just kind of hurts. And he does a scan and there's a speck no bigger than a grain of sand within the tissue of the big toe and it's cancerous. And the doctor comes back and says, I'm sorry. This is a very aggressive form of cancer. It's just known to spread quickly throughout your whole body. And it's deadly. But here's the good news. We caught it early. This is actually fairly easy to deal with right now. We caught it. It's only in the big toe. And you say, it's only in the big toe. Yeah. It hasn't spread anywhere else. No. You know what? I think we're just going to leave it then. I'm okay with it because it's not really affecting anything else. It's not really causing me any other problems. I can still work. So, doctor, I think we're just going to leave it. And the doctor says, no, no, you can't do that. We need to deal with it now. No, doctor, I just want to leave it. It's not. A big deal. You see, God is not foolish like that. God looks at sin and he knows much better than any of us that it is a big deal. And he says, I'm not going to leave it. I'm going to do something about it. And when we sit in the classroom of the cross and we see Jesus Christ, his son, on the cross, that is God doing something about sin and saying, I will not let it go on forever. God must judge sin the other thing we see as we sit in the classroom of the cross is that god's love is extraordinary extraordinary what a great word that is extraordinary it means it goes beyond what is expected beyond what is usual it describes the unexpected nature of god's love that is so contrary to what is normal and natural to us You see, if sin is so great and God's judgment is absolutely necessary, then when we look to the cross, who should be on the cross? Me and you. And the extraordinary nature of God's love is seen on the cross because it's not us on the cross. It's God's Son. He is taking our place Romans five seven through eight says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. While we were still sinners, God could have come to us and said, "Look, yeah, I want to fix things, but you're going to have to do your part." Um, You got to fix yourself up first. You got to clean up your life first. You got to get rid of all your sin first. That's not what we see at the cross. What we see at the cross is we can't do that and survive. And that's why Jesus did it for us. It was our sin to be paid, but he paid the price. Our sin cut us off from the life that God gives, yet Christ died for us. Our rebellion threatens God's kingdom, and yet Jesus is punished in our place. At the cross, both the justice of God and the love of God are on display in a way that, quite frankly, I think would have been impossible any other way. Justice fulfilled because sin is paid for. Love expressed because he took it for us. The cross really does change everything. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember who we are as sinners and just how bad and severe our sin is? And then we say, wait a minute, now there's no condemnation. Why? Because the cross has changed everything. We're changed from lawbreakers and rebels into those who stand before our King unashamed, unafraid, with no condemnation. Because of the cross. But there's more. Romans 8:15: the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. We went from being lost, dead, sinful rebels in God's kingdom to being lifted up to be His own children. What could make that change? The cross of Jesus Christ. But there's more. At the end of Romans 8, 38-39, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God should look at us and say, you're lost. You're dead and you're a rebel against my kingdom. I want nothing to do with you. That would be fair. Instead, God looks at us and he says, I will never let you go. If you're saved by my son, Jesus Christ, nothing will ever stand against you or take you out of my love. My love for you will never change. In the classroom of the cross, we see God's love displayed. A love that while we were yet sinners pursued us, came after us. That's what the message of Christmas is all about. Christ born in a manger. It's not about tensile and presents. It's about we were lost and hopeless and God sent his son. He pursued us. It's about a love that saves us, a love that changes us, and a love that holds us fast. The cross changes everything. There's one more thing we need to look at. One more thing as we sit in the classroom of the cross and we see our Savior suffer and die in our place. Why? Why would the Son of God do that for us? He did that for us because we could never do it ourselves. That's why it was necessary for God to become man, the incarnation in Jesus Christ, to live among us, to go to the cross in our place, because we could not pay the price ourselves. We can't do it. We can't earn it. We can never be good enough. The cross makes it very clear that salvation is a free gift. Ephesians 2 8 9 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I find it amazing that throughout the history of the church, the gospel that Jesus Christ died in our place to save us so easily gets distorted into you need to fix yourself up for God. It happens over and over again. And I'm not just talking about S- situations or denominations. Even in our own minds, and our own hearts, the number of people I've seen that accept Jesus as their Savior, but then they say, oh, but i got to fix my life up now. i got to get good enough for God. He's not going to accept me anymore because I'm just not good enough for Him. We do it too. It's not just a Christian history problem. It's a personal way of thinking about the gospel problem. But when we come back to the cross of Jesus Christ, we are looking at what we cannot do, and He did it for us. It is a free gift that Jesus took our place on the cross. It's his gift to us. It's a free gift that Jesus rose from the dead and promises eternal life. It's a gift. We can't earn it. And when we come to God and we say, well, that's really great what Jesus did for me. Now, God, let me show you what I've done for you. And I think I should get into heaven because of all these great things that I've done. Do you understand what we're doing to the cross? We're cheapening it. We're diminishing it. And ultimately, we're saying, I know better than God. He sent his son to die on the cross, but I know I should do a little bit extra. We're still putting ourselves in the place of God. Salvation is a free gift. What an amazing thing to learn in the classroom of God. You can't earn it, but you don't have to. What we do have to do is accept it. As we sit in the classroom of the cross, I hope that you will observe very carefully. The suffering of our Savior was so severe because our sin is so severe. It is Jesus on the cross dying because God is carrying out His justice on sin. It is Jesus on the cross dying in our place instead of us because in His love, God offers a way of salvation. We see on the cross that Jesus is doing all of the, that for those of us, and that's all of us who are unworthy because salvation is always a free gift. I know a lot of the things I've been saying today, some of you have heard over and over again. But it's good to come back to the cross and sit and remind yourself, look at your Savior. Look at what He's done in your place. Remind yourself of the salvation that He has given you. I think that's what Paul's doing in Galatians when he says, I'm no longer alive. I see myself through the lens of the cross of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Some of you, though, are hearing some of these things for the first time, or maybe it's clicking for the first time. Is that what that meant? Is that why he did that? I want you to hear that last phrase, though. Salvation is a free gift. A gift you can accept today. Right now. To say, that was my sin. That was my punishment, and I believe for the first time, I totally get it now, he died to save me. And let me assure you, that truth, and accepting that truth, and living in acceptance of that truth really does change everything. It changes everything. Throughout the rest of this series, we're going to dive deeper into some of these topics. And I hope you come back. Because the Bible is just rich with meaning on each one of these things. But today, and as we depart from this place, I want you to think, am I still looking at the cross? Am I still really considering that? Am I allowing it to inform how I look at myself and the world around me? Am I still learning? And ultimately, am I still living my life in trust of the cross of Jesus Christ? How will you receive you sit in the classroom of the cross? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the cross really does change everything. And we have just skipped across the surface of the depth of the meaning and the truth and the love and the grace that is there for us at the cross of Jesus Christ. And yet, in so many ways, the message of the cross is so simple a child can understand it, and so deep that we will spend the rest of eternity just learning more and praising you for more and more as we explore the depth of the cross. But God, may we not just get caught up in some theological education, but may we stop and say, Am I responding to this? Am I surrendering to the cross? and to the free gift of salvation. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who's never accepted your Son as their Savior, may today be the day that they say yes to the cross, yes to the gift of the resurrected new life through Jesus Christ. And for the rest of us, I pray, Father, may we see our lives through that lens. May we see the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ through the lens of the cross. May we see our church through the lens of the cross. May we see our society through the lens of the cross. Oh, Father, may it be true in our own hearts and minds that the cross changes everything. In your name we pray. Amen.